What's that time of the week again? It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 589 for April 6, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, 75 of X. We're cooking now, Bart. We are cooking with gas, as we say over here. <laughs> so that homework was hard and taking a long time, and I'm not done. Well, that's all right, because having chatted to you midway through the week before you went off on your extremely impressive holiday, um, we decided that everyone gets an extension. And you don't just get an extension, you also get a hint. Oh, that would be nice. I mean, I knew... Now, I was... you've already had your hint in private, but everyone else gets to have their hint in public. Oh, good. I, uh, so, I do have I to think... admit that uh, when, when Dorothy was having trouble with it, I knew it was going to be rough. It's, it's one of those when the penny drops... It, it it has a long way to fall. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I I sort of didn't. What, no, I intentionally was <laughs> tortured uh, us. Basically, I'm setting you up for the real world. So okay, so let me explain. Instead of talking around it, okay. let's let's actually explain. So what I've given you as your as your sort of input for this um, challenge is all of the information you need to achieve your end goal in a data structure that's optimized for the purpose of storing the data. In other words, it's a JSON object that I've written in the way you would write a JSON object to be the nicest possible JSON. Okay. That is not the same problem as the best structured view to make template writing easy. Okay. They are different things. And so in the real world, you're going to be getting data from a source, right? It's good. Maybe it's an XML file. Maybe it's a database. Maybe it's a file. Maybe it's a JSON object. You're going to get your data from somewhere. And then you're going to have some sort of task that involves using that data to make some sort of, you know, web page or UI of some sort. Right. And actually, a part, a big part of that task is transforming the data into the view you need to render the page you need. So the data in the JSON object is not in the right shape to easily fit into the template you're going to need to achieve the task. Okay. So it's actually not just write the template and throw my object at it as the view. It's create your views from the data in that object and create your template. So it's actually two things you have to do. So I got to the point where I could reach into the JSON object and get the data that I needed, but I had to go mm-hmm. through um, person, Allison, name, first name. I had to put all of that in, which meant I couldn't make it generic to just grab a person. And I didn't. I couldn't right. figure out how to. Uh, I'm, you know all this, but I'm telling the audience where yes. I get sick was. I couldn't figure out how to hop over Allison, right? I wanted to be able to say I want a person and I want to find their first name. I, I didn't know how to yes. get around that, and that was the the hint you helped me with. Yes. Yeah, so basically, don't pass the whole the whole object in as your view. Pass only Allison in as your view, and then the name is sitting right there for you. And then if you pass only Bart in the next time, then the name is sitting right there for you. Yeah, but I didn't know how to do that. Until you spoon-fed it to me. Yeah, it, you say spoon-feed, but I think our entire conversation was like 10 minutes at most. So Yeah, but there was the part about how how obtuse do you want me to be or something along those lines. And I was like, spoon-feed me. I've been at this for like 12 hours already and I can't figure it out. You were also mildly stressed because you had a wee bit of traveling to do to get to your extremely pretty surroundings. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was I was stressing out about how I was going to get it done. And after Bart helped me get over the hump, he said, hey, I have an idea. How about if we have an extension on the homework? Yes. And I'm actually going to give you another piece of it's, it's advice, I guess is probably the word for it. So just to say that how I 
in the real world. So I use a lot of templating a lot of the time in my you know, work life. And my approach is step one, familiarize yourself with the data that is available. So in this case, that would mean just have a read through the JSON object so that you know what is there. You know that you have names, you have social media things, right? Just know what you have. Mm-hmm. And then don't think about the data at all. Jump straight to the template and write the template first and name the parts of your view so they make sense in the template file. And then backfill it by writing the code to transform the data you have into the view you now know you need. Okay. Okay. So when you're in work, you you need your template to make sense to you, not be just identical to what it looks like over in the JSON object. Exactly. Okay. So I, I, I start off by knowing what's possible, right? There's no point in me writing stuff into my template that I do not have, right? If I don't know the person's username, I can't use username in the template. No point. Right. So know what you have and then write your template so that the template works. And then go back and fill in the piece in the middle to transform. So you now know your start point and your end point. So now it's actually a very easy job. You just got to translate from one to the other. But until you know the end point, it's actually a really difficult task. Hmm. So it's almost in fact, like it's an impossible well, task. You're, you're architecting it before you go by the building, get the building blocks. But you got to go find out that there are squares and triangles and, and rectangles. Yeah. So basically know that you, you, you can use cement, concrete and glass, then go design your house and then say, OK, so I need four pieces of glass this size and two pieces of glass that size. Mm-hmm. And then build your view now that you know what it needs to be. OK, that makes sense. OK, cool. So homework until next time, and that is that is all we shall say about that. So you, everyone gets an extension and two tips. So what are we doing today? Well, today we are laying... Actually, this is really good. We're continuing our building analogy. This was going to be my analogy. We are laying a foundation today, and it's a foundation we're going to be building on very heavily. So I'm in t- I, intentionally going not very far, Um Half of the show notes I've written are now saved away in a separate file that's still in draft called PBS 76 of X. Okay. Because I decided that it's actually so important we lay this foundation that I don't want to throw too much at you today. Good. So basically, we're not going to do as much today as we normally do, but I would like it to really soak in. Okay. Good. So the next place we're going is a technology called Ajax. And it sounds like a cleaning product. At least it does in Europe. It does, yeah. Um, okay, so that's one we have in common then. Um, but what it's for is for allowing your JavaScript to grab information of any kind from a URL. So you can write your JavaScript to go fetch something from somewhere else on the internet. And that something could be an image, that something could be some data, that something could be... Some you know a, a template it, that something could read anything that you can have of sitting at a URL that has a MIME type that a web server will hand you. It really, the, the sky is the limit here. So Ajax is not a technique to solve a specific problem. It's a technique that solves more problems than you can possibly shake a stick at. Mm. Now, our excuse for learning Ajax now is that I want to be able to load templates from external files. I don't want to have to hard code my template into my HTML file because I may want to use the same template in multiple HTML files. And I may just want to separate the two things out so that I don't have a scroll bar the size of my teeny tiny pinky finger. (laughs) Okay, It's just easier to manage separate files sometimes. 
I also want to have the ability to load data from other places, from other sources. So I'm not having to hard code my data into my pages either. And to do either of those things or both of those things, I need the ability to fetch information from a URL. In other words, I need to know Ajax. So really, so before we can Ajax finish... Ajax is the only way to do that, is it? I mean, I can go get Ajax is image. the only way to do it in JavaScript. Hmm. But if you're writing in PHP, you'd use a different technique. Ajax is just a fancy acronym for the mechanism by which JavaScript fetches URLs for you. So I, so really I, I what grabbed we're... an image using in using JavaScript from a URL, I thought. Did I hallucinate well, you that didn't. I did that? You, you didn't grab an image. What you did was you told the browser to go grab an image at a given URL. You gave an ah, SRC. Okay. Okay, I got you. Right. Yeah, the image didn't come back to you to process. You told the browser to go get it, which is subtly different. And I, I admit that's a subtlety. Okay. But yeah, I'm glad I asked the question because I was thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I did that part. But got you, got you. Okay. Yeah. So all Ajax is, I say all, it's making an HTTP request with JavaScript. So in order for any of the documentation to make sense, in order for any of the naming conventions to make sense, and they actually, strangely enough, are actually sensible. This is unusual. But they're only sensible if you actually understand the HTTP protocol. Hmm. So all we're going to do today is actually learn what really happens when your browser goes and fetches something. Wow. Okay. And then when we, underst when we understand HTTP... Then next time I can show you the API for doing jQuery, sorry, for using jQuery to do Ajax queries because jQuery has an Ajax function that is beautiful. It is wonderfully easy to use with lots of well-named things. Okay, good. It's J jQuery is lovely, lovely Ajax. So we're going to use jQuery's Ajax. Um, but like I say, it'll only be lovely if you know what it's actually doing under the hood and then it'll all make perfect sense. If, so that's why we're doing it this way around, and that's 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 our menu for today. Teach everyone HTTP. Okay. Um, we are going to look at HTTP from the point of view of the problem we're trying to solve. This is not an exhaustive look at every feature of the HTTP protocol. If you want more details on HTTP than we're going to do today, I will point you at installments 34 and 35 of N over on Taming the Terminal. And you have links in the show notes to that, right? I have links in the show notes to those two. So we dedicated two episodes of Taming the Terminal to HTTP. We're only doing one here today. Hey, so that I'm gives gonna, you an I'm idea that we're looking... Make an interruption here. Make a little ad. Bart and I recorded a long series called Taming the Terminal. <laughs> so this is one of our podcasts. They may not know that. There's probably people listening that, is that a fair don't point. even know about it. Because it's been 75 episodes ago since we did that. Yeah, that's when we finished... Uh, well, I don't know. It's a van. Every once in a while, a new one could come up. You don't know. Uh, in fact, there's one brewing at the moment because I have I have a few little things that are not big enough to make an episode on their own. But when I get to a critical mass of little things, I think there will be we'll another entertainment terminal sometime <laughs> in the next few months. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I very much said we haven't ended. We're just on hiatus. Right. Um, and in fact, another thing that I, I actually... Yeah, the other thing I really want to do is I want to go back when we've done enough programming by stealth to learn bash scripting, which is basically programming oh, on the yeah. terminal. Yeah. Because the terminal has if statements. The terminal has for loops and while loops and the terminal has variables and the terminal has arrays. And wait a second, that's programming. <laughs> yes, the terminal is 
That is full-on programming. You can write full apps in shell script. Wow. But we just haven't done it. We haven't tamed our terminals that much. So we're definitely going back there at some stage. Okay, good. I don't know if you call it taming the terminal by stealth. I'm not, <laughs> not sure why. Really going to sneak up fun, on right? these people going, hey, where's this episode coming from? Yes. Anyway, so HTTP is the hypertext transfer protocol, and it's what web browsers use to fetch data from URLs, starting with HTTP colon slash slash or HTTPS colon slash slash. So any URL that starts with those two things, it's happening over HTTP. If the URL starts with anything else, it's not happening over HTTP. It's happening over whatever the other thing is, maybe FTP colon slash slash or file colon slash slash, which is a way of telling your web browser to go nowhere near the internet and go to your local file system and grab a file from there. But that's not done over HTTP. That's just dear operating system, hand me the file at C drive slash whatever. So HTTP and HTTPS are the HTTP protocol. They're, it's a client-server protocol. So it's very much based off the... It's not a peer-to-peer. It's a client-to-server. So the browser is a client, and the web server is the server. And their jobs are not interchangeable. They have very different roles in this transaction. It's also a request-response protocol. So the way it works is client sends request, server has a good think about it, sends response. So request, think, 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 response. And the other thing is it is a stateless request response protocol. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it means it's the goldfish protocol. (laughs) Every request response, so they come in pairs, right? Request response is the atom of HTTP. And every request response is independent of every other request response. And there is no concept of a relationship between those things, which does not gel with our modern experience of the internet at all. You do not have to type your password into Facebook every single time you load any Facebook page. So clearly, Facebook is somehow managing to remember you and tie your completely independent HTTP transactions together, despite the fact that the protocol has absolutely positively no support for that. So I could say that HTTP is like Siri. You can say, Siri, Mm. what time is the game tonight? And she says, four o'clock. And you say, can you put that on my calendar? And she says, put what in your calendar? Yes, that is the perfect analogy. That is exactly what is going on there and exactly why Siri is so dumb. So what this tells us is that Siri needs a cookie. Ah, okay. Because cookies were invented not to track you around the internet. That was a completely unintended side effect of cookies. And cookies are used for completely legitimate purposes a million times more than they're used to track you all around the internet. Cookies were invented to work around the fact that HTTP is the Siri goldfish. So the way it works is the web server wants to recognize you next time you come by. The protocol provides the web server no way to recognize you. So what it does is it gives you a token. And it says, the next time you talk to me, hand me back a copy of that token, and then I'll know who you are. Right. And that's all a cookie is. It's a token that you are given, that your browser is given by the web server. And every time you send a new request, you include in that request the token. And then the web server can piece it together. And the web server can look inside its database and say, token 5321. Ah, Alison. Okay. Alison is logged in. Alison has these friends. You know, And it allows Facebook or whatever you're logged into to do its thing. So it's kind of weird that, 
we like the original internet, the web 1.0 had no concept of logging in. It had no concept of it was just give me this image, thank you. Give me this web page, thank you. It was completely stateless. And the protocol still is completely stateless. So we've worked around it with cookies. Right. I'm with you so far. Okay. The other thing to say is that the only difference between HTTP and HTTPS is that HTTPS is just the identical protocol wrapped in something called Transport Layer Security, or TLS. So it's a wrapper. It just it takes the identical protocol and effectively... Think of it like a VPN. It's the same network traffic you've always had, but now someone has wrapped it in some encryption. Okay. And that's all HTTPS is. Okay. So there's no difference from an AJAX point of view in making an HTTP or an HTTPS request. The browser and the server deal with the wrapping, and all you care about is the HTTP protocol that may or may not get tunneled through this security. Hmm. Okay. So we get to, we, we care about it from the point of view of not leaking data, but we don't care about it from the point of view of having to change how we write our code. Our code will work identically for both types of URL. Okay, great. Which is nice. Yeah. So request response, game of two halves. Let us start with the first half, the request. So an HTTP request contains the following four things. A URL, an HTTP method, an arbitrary amount of HTTP request headers, and optionally, some form data. So they're the four, three to four things that will get sent to the server, and an arbitrary number of headers can be zero, so arguably a minimum of two, a maximum of four. Okay. And the method is used to describe the type of request you're making, If our mission here today was to tell you everything HTTP can do, we'd spend ages talking about all the different methods. But that's not our mission today, so we're only going to look at a very small subset of HTTP methods, the ones that matter for AJAX. But before we go into... um, So basically, we're interested in fetching data. Right. There are methods for altering the current data on the server, for adding data to the server for deleting data from the server. There's there's lots and lots of HTTP methods, but we're just interested in give me data. So that really limits how much we have to look at today. Now, URLs are the key to all of this. So we should break them apart a bit. We did this earlier in the series when we looked at links and how links work, yeah. but it's worth just looking at it again. Okay. So a URL is a six-parted thing, some of which are optional. So the very start of a URL is called the URL scheme, uh, sometimes also called the protocol, but the correct technical term is the scheme. And the scheme is separated from the rest of the URL by colon slash slash. So it's URL scheme, colon slash slash, and then the rest of the URL. So the two schemes we're really interested in are HTTP and HTTPS, but I should also mention file because you can use AJAX to fetch a file, but a lot of browsers don't like you to anymore. So So probably not. We won't be. Okay. It's problematic these days for security reasons, but in theory, it used to be a done thing, not a done thing anymore. Anyway, HTTP and HTTPS colon slash slash. So that's the scheme. The next part that we care about is the host which is basically the server. 
So examples could be localhost when you're playing around on your own machine or bartb.ie or podfeet.com or www.cnn.com, whatever. That is the host part. And you, the host keeps going until you meet the next part of the URL. So one of the next parts you may optionally meet is the port number. So the port number, if it's present, will start with a colon and then be a number. And 99% of the time, you don't have to bother with them because there there are implied ports. If you say HTTP colon slash slash, then you are implying port 80 unless you add colon some other number after the host. Hmm. If you say HTTPS, you're implying port 443 unless you say otherwise which is why most of the time our URLs don't have colons in them because most of the time everything's happening over ports 80 and 443. Uh, and the file scheme has no host name or port number because it it's meaningless. The file product the, the file scheme says fetch it from the local computer. Well the local computer is the local computer. I don't need to tell you what port it's on. It doesn't have a port. I don't need to tell you what host it is. It is what it is. If you get what I mean. Yeah. So after the host and or port number, the next thing that happens is we have the path or the file path part of the URL. And you can recognize it because it always starts with the character forward slash. So that's how you can tell it apart from the host and or port. So forward slash and then some text. And that, I mean, depending on how the web service configure, that could really map to anything. But if you're using MAMP or ZAMP or whatever it is you're using, it probably maps to a file path inside your htdocs folder. But in theory, depending on your web server config, it could map to anything. It's just we call that bit of the URL the path. Right. After the path, there's an optional part called a page fragment. Uh, if it's present, you'll recognize it because it starts with the octothorpe or the hash or the pound, depending oh, yeah. on what we're calling it. Yeah. And that specifies a place within a page. So in other words, it's part of a page. It's, so basically, we would use it to to go to an A tag that has A name equals, and then we could jump to, say, section four of a page or something. That's, that's the page fragment. Anchors? Yeah, so the A tag we use to create them, and we call them anchors, but the bit of the URL is called a fragment. Okay. Hmm. So a fragment tells you what anchor to go to. All right. I didn't make this up. <laughs> I, I've always had trouble keeping them straight in my head, and I don't use them because of that. I've tried writing text hmm. expander snippets to, so I don't have to remember it, and I still can't, could never get it to work more than, you know, once in a row. Well, I think your brain goes ahref equals as if that's one sentence. Yeah. But if you're making an anchor, it's a name equals. And your brain doesn't work like that. Yeah, but remembering where the the, the Octothorpe goes in the... Ah, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. Scroll. Command F. Yeah. Find it. <laughs> yes. There you go. So the last part of a URL is also optional. It's called the query string. And you'll recognize it uh, because it will start with a question mark, which is a really good symbol to choose for the query string. Yeah. A query string allows you to specify what are called query parameters. They're name-value pairs that the server that receives the URL can use to determine what to do. So you may, you'll often see them on the end, like raw WordPress URLs will end with things like question mark P equals 432. That yeah. means give me page with the ID 432. 
Right. Um, so they're a way of specifying name value pairs. And so the name value pairs are separated from each other with the ampersand and the name from the value with the equals. Wait a minute, ampersand, you mean the question mark? No, no. So question mark says this is where it begins. Right. So so the question mark separates the entire query string from the rest of the URL. So question mark P equals uh, 432. There was no... There was no ampersand in that. Right, because there's exactly one name value pair. The oh. name P, the value 42. Okay. If you also wanted to say and tag... E- Actually, if you do a search, you can make them bigger. So if you search okay. WordPress, oh, you yeah, might yeah. say where the tag equals PBS and where the date equals less than 19... Uh, no, not less than 19, less than 2015 or something. Then you could end up with, say... You know, search.php question mark tag equals PBS and date equals November or something. I'm kind of making it up as I go along, but you, you sort of get the idea. Or maybe and category equals four, say. Right. So then you would have the question mark says everything after me is the query string. And the ampersand says and the query string has two parts. And then within each part, the equal sign says this is the name and this is the value. Yeah, a, a great way to find that is go to Amazon and try to search for something. And, oh, Jesus. And, no, 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 no. This is a good example. So, like, I It is a good example, but Amazon doesn't do them short. Right. But I can see question mark K equal. I, I did a search for 4K display. So it says K equals right. 4K plus display ampersand ref equals NB. So now I've got one that's got a question mark. It's got a something equals something and amp, an ampersand of something equals something. You can make one. Yeah, okay, Just try yeah. to find a way to show an example of what you were do- what you were doing. Yeah. Well, there's actually an example coming up in a few scrolls. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well. well. No, no, it's a good example, right? And actually, Amazon... The reason I scoff is because Amazon make the world's longest URLs. And generally speaking... Well, okay, with Amazon, it's definitely true. If you want to send someone a link and you don't want it to look horrible, everything before the ampersand, copy and paste into your email, and everything after the ampersand, throw it away. However... Don't do that if you want to send them your affiliate link, because then it's not your affiliate link anymore. Yeah, the affiliate links, they make little tiny short ones, so that's good. Yeah, but then when they expand out, you end up with the giant big... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've just noticed something really weird in my show notes. I have managed to get the symbol for a paragraph to somehow show in the middle of my sample URL. Neat. <laughs> I don't even know how I did that. Okay. I'll, I'll fix it for the real show when I figure out how on earth I did that. Um, actually, no, I know how I did that. I'm going to fix it right now because otherwise you're not going to be able to follow along. And that, that what is the point of an example that doesn't actually work? So while um, you're fixing that, I'm going to vamp for the audience and just tell them uh, why this is possible. Is uh, Sometimes when we do the show, if we move it to a certain time, Bart hasn't completely finished it yet. And so I'm actually looking at a WordPress preview version that when you get to it will be the real version. But I'm looking at sort of a draft version and he can edit it real time and I can refresh it and see the changes that he's making. So that is often helpful. Sometimes I find typos, it is. which is my big service to the community, right? <laughs> it is, because basically what happens is I have the notes written, but not yet proofread and we need to record. And then I basically use you as a free copy editor. <laughs> oh, shoot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Uh-oh. This has just gone horribly wrong. 
Should I pause I've the managed recording? to overwrite a finished version of the show notes with a version from this morning. So I have it open. Well, thankfully, WordPress was versioning, so I've just rewound to how it looked at 1537, which is just when I said I'm done writing show notes, I hope. Ah, there you go. So restore this version. I haven't paused yeah. the recording, so this is fun. They're going to... Uh... This is fun. So this is proving that WordPress's feature of constantly autosaving really saves your bacon. It does. I have done this really many times. Really saves your bacon. The other reason we're not pausing is every single time I've ever paused because we had a problem and started up again, I forget to unpause. So the reason the second half yeah, of the show... Yeah, that doesn't so good. ...exists. Right, now I'm actually fixing it for real. Okay. Not just breaking 100%. it. Not just breaking it. So now when I hit save draft, now it should be fixed. Do I dare refresh? Yes. All right. So yes. we just finished Phew. the section on where you explained the four components of the URL. Well, the six. Six, sorry. Yes. Okay. So the last thing I want to say before we move on to an example of the title together is that you are not allowed to have special characters in URLs. Okay. You must replace them with a bunch of funny codes that start with the percentage symbol are then followed by two hexadecimal characters. The really good news is that as Ajax developers, that's not our problem. Hmm. As Ajax developers, there are literally API calls we can make that says escape this for me please and escape, so we don't have to, to know them it? it means to replace all the characters you're not allowed in urls with the percent symbols oh okay oh so you mean we could put spaces for example in a url name and it would escape it for us and turn it into the right query in the yes the short answer is yes. There are some subtleties. Like, for example, when we're using jQuery and we we wanna we wanna add information, we wanna add data. We would we wouldn't add it into the URL. We'd add we'd pass it as variables into a function, and then the function would build the URL for us. And as it was building the URL, it would do all of the escaping for us. Okay. But the point is, I don't have to know that percent twenty is equivalent to the space. Good. That's the only because one the I APIs know. have us covered. Yeah. Okay. If you're curious and you want to learn more, I have linked in the show notes to the entire tutorial on URL escaping over at W3 Schools, and you can see all of the subtleties of all of your percent bloody bloody blast stuff. But really, the good news is all we have to remember is that we just need to call the right function, and we know the function will do the right thing, but we don't have to know what the right thing is. Good. Excellent. So let's tie this together with an example URL. So you can see the example in the show notes now that it's fixed. It says HTTP colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash test folder forward slash test file dot HTML octothorpe section one question mark param one equals boogers and param two equals some percent 20 stuff. (laughs) So what can we say about that URL? Well, I can say that there's the next typo. I can say the scheme is HTTP. I can say the host is localhost. I can say the port is 8080. I can say the file path is forward slash test folder forward slash test file that HTML. I can say the fragment is section one. I can say the query string is param one equals boogers and param two equals some percent 20 stuff. And I can say that there are two query parameters, param one and param two. 
The value of param 1 is buggers and the value of param 2 is some space stuff because percent 20 is in fact the space. That makes sense. I like having this example. I could just tell that this is something later on you're going to say, hey, just go back to PBS 75 of X. I gave you the code. Yep, the because these words. The, the, yeah, exactly. This is, this is where we define all of the words you're going to see showing up all over the place in the APIs. Query string, query parameter. Right. Okay. This is where we're defining what they are. Host, port, scheme, path. These things are going to keep coming up. And so that's why we're, we're laying them out very methodically for that reason. Great. So the next thing we need to look at is the HTTP methods. So I I told you there were lots of them, but we only care about the methods for fetching data from servers, really. So what we care about is exactly two of them, get and post. Philosophically, get requests should never alter the internal state of the server. And it should be safe to cache the response. So an, Am- a, an Amazon link is a perfect example of a GET request because it doesn't matter whether I'm looking for a microphone with an XLR jack or you're looking for a microphone with an XLR jack. It, it's the same thing. So if I search for it on my laptop and you search for it on your laptop, it's perfectly fine for your router to cache that page and present me with the cached version from you or whatever, right? It's We're getting some information from the server. If I click the button to add comment to Bart's blog post, it is not perfectly okay to cache that. And I really, really shouldn't use a GET request for that because the point of posting a comment is to alter the state of the server. So that's not a GET request, that's a POST request. I'm posting something to the server. Hmm. Okay. So that's the fi- that is an important aspect of the philosophical difference. Right, So get requests do not alter the state of the server and can be cached. And post requests, their, their raison d'etre is to alter the internal state of the server. And post requests should never be cached. From a practical point of view, the other really big difference is how much data you can shove into a get request versus a post request. Since a get request job is to fetch something and a post request job is to alter the server, it's probably no surprise that the get request can only use query parameters, which means it can only, it has to fit in the URL. All the data has to fit in the URL of a get request. Oh, okay. A post request can literally send gigabytes of data. So when you upload a gigantic big file to some sort of file sharing service like Firefox's new file send contraption, that is definitely a post request because it's literally shoving gigabytes of data up to Firefox. But likewise, you never a, show a that single, into likewise, a, a single you know, 12 kilobyte post uh, comment would also be a post. It would, because even though that's way smaller than a multi-gigabyte file, it wouldn't fit in the URL. Right. <laughs> so, and again, you're altering the state of the server, so a get is wrong philosophically and just in every way. So basically, the post request can send as much data as you like. Basically, the post request can send as much data as the server is prepared to tolerate. Okay. Because the servers will have a setting that says how much they consider too much so that they don't lose all the resources. And at some point, you'll hit a server limit where the server just says, I don't care that you want to keep talking to me. I've had it. But the protocol allows for as much as you like, if that makes sense. So that is the big difference between get and post. 
The next thing we mentioned is that your HTTP request, so we have a URL, we have an HTTP method, we have then an arbitrary number of HTTP request headers. So let's look at these headers. So these headers, they're, they're defined, right? These headers are laid out in the specification. There's a whole bunch of different potential headers you could use. Hey Bart, before you go ahead to headers, you had something else in the show notes here about not sending sensitive data. Thank you so much. I really didn't mean to skip over that. Yes, particularly with my other security bits hat on. Um, so URLs regularly get written to log files. Therefore, if you need to send the server something sensitive, you absolutely positively must use a post request because otherwise the something sensitive is now in all the log files. <laughs> uh, PW equals boogers. That would be a classic example of what not to do. The other one being CC equals 16-digit number, XP equals two numbers, then four numbers, CVV2 equals... Right? Okay. Don't do that. All right. I, d- yeah, I have an anecdote I would have loved to be able to share, but I can't share it on the air okay. as much as I would love to. <laughs> this has happened, um, let's just say that a bit. It has happened. That is not an example I pulled out of nowhere. That is an example I pulled out of my memory, and I did not write the code. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I spent three days explaining to someone why it was a problem, and it wasn't happening. Oh. Anyway, that's as much as I'm going to say. So there, the request headers are a mechanism for the client, the browser in our case, to send pieces of predefined information to the server for it to then choose to do with as it pleases. There's loads of them. Uh, one of the ways headers are used is for localization. So sometimes you have a web page where when I show up, it gives it to me in English. And when, say, Patrick Beja shows up, it shows him the same page in French. How does it know? Well, the answer is you tell your operating system what country you're in, your operating system tells your browser what country you're in, and your browser inserts into every HTTP request it makes your list of preferred languages in order of preference. And then the web server can, if it wants to, use that information to give you different copies of the same page. Hmm. If the server chooses to, basically if the developers have implemented internationalization then they can use the header. And because the header is actually in order for languages, um, they can actually basically say, oh, you'd really like Swahili. Yeah, we don't got that. What's your second choice? Your second choice is Azerbaijani. You don't have that either. Your third choice is French. Okay, you can have French. And so basically it will meet, you know, the, the, um, the one highest up your list that can. And then it will fall back to some sort of default in the case of, I'm sorry, I couldn't help you. You're going to have to make do with English, most likely. Anyway, so that's a use for headers. The other really common use for headers is a header called user-agent. Oh, I know this one. Which, yes, this is the one browsers use to identify themselves to the server so that the server can know that they're dealing with an obsolete piece of poop like IE and render a dumber version of the page if the server admin so chooses to configure things. It's also used to give statistics. How how can DigitalOcean or whoever your hosting provider is, how can they know that 50% of your visitors use Chrome? Well, the answer is the, the, the web server's logs log the user agent header 
and then you simply go and count for all the Chromes and you count for all the IEs and you count for all the Safaris. And in fact, as we'll see later on when we actually see what these headers look like for reals, the the user agent header contains, it doesn't just say Safari. Oh, goodness me to know. The, 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 the history of the, the user agent string is long and complex mm. and you could easily do a two-hour podcast on it. But it's chock-a-block full of information, so it usually also contains uh, OS information as well. So that's why people can say, like, oh, 50% of our visitors are on a Mac or whatever. It's because of the user agent header. I'm going to stick in a quick note here. One of the fun things you can do in your browser is tell it a different user agent string. So if you've ever wanted to post to Instagram using your Mac... You can go into Safari under, uh, I think it's in the developer tools. Where is it? Yeah, develop. It's in the development. So you you, you it used to be in the development. You user agent. And then yes. you change it to Safari iPhone. And all of a sudden, you will be, you'll have a plus button because it thinks you're on an iPhone. And therefore, you're young and cool and hip, I guess. And now you can post to uh, Instagram from your Mac. Yeah. Uh, the develop menu in Safari, as we I think we mentioned way, way, way back in the series, is not there by default. But if you go Safari preferences, and then is it on the advanced? Oh, I'm not sure. I figured I'd leave that for the student. I yes. did a whole post on this, so you can go look for it. <laughs> yes. Well, I've just looked right here. It's under advanced, the very, very bottom option under advanced. So arguably the most advanced, advanced option it says show developer menu in menu bar. Okay. And then you have a menu Actually, called Develop with loads of cool stuff. You know, stuff. if you're watching, listening to the series, you've probably turned that on. And other browsers can do this too. I just know how to do it in Safari. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, the other header we absolutely have to mention here is the header called Cookie. Because that is how the browser hands the token back to the web server. So at some point in the past, the web server has handed you this token. This is next time you come by, hand me this token back so I recognize you. That's how the browser actually hands it back. It makes a header called cookie, hmm. and then okay. it puts in whatever it was told. Okay. So rather than me describing the HTTP request, I'm going to show you the HTTP request. And the only place that really sees an HTTP request is a web server, right? That's where they go to. So I have written a little PHP script, which returns in an HTTP response the details it received in the request. So I've actually open-sourced this little script. I've called it HTTP Echo because it echoes back the HTTP request. And so if you just visit the URL in your browser, so bartb.ie forward slash utils forward slash HTTP Echo, you will see the HTTP request that showed you that page. Hmm. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff in here. There's my IP address, shows the browser that I'm using. Interesting, it says I'm running Mozilla. Yes, indeed, yes. And that's part of that massive big history. So how much of this, do you want some of this history? Um, Because basically it's about lying. (laughs) So later browsers, okay, when you make a new browser, the internet doesn't know about your browser. So the internet has no idea what to do with your user agent string. And that used to break things. So when a new browser would come out, they would include in their browser, in their user agent string, the bit of the user agent string of the pre-existing browser they're most similar to. Hmm. So Safari identifies itself as Mozilla, WebKit, KML-like Gecko, and then finally Safari. Interesting. 
So Apple WebKit is actually the real thing behind Safari. So everything webby that happens on the Mac, whether it's in Safari or whether it's a web view in another app, is actually done with WebKit. So WebKit's really the engine here. But Safari is what people know, so that's also in the thingy. Uh, Gecko then is actually the rendering engine for the very old versions of uh, Netscape. I think it was Netscape at that stage. So there were most browsers were Gecko-like, which is why it says like Gecko. And then KHTML was the open source project that Apple extended to become WebKit, which is Safari. And I have no idea why Mozilla's in there, actually. <laughs> okay, but so basically, anyway. in, that, in that user agent is the entire history of how, how Safari got to be. Wow. So the main stuff yeah. you were to have us look at is the headers down here, right? So I can see the host was bartb.ie. Well, no let's, let's, no, let's work our way through it. It's oh, not okay. just the headers, right? I told you that the, the request contains many parts. So let's actually just make our way through. So the only thing the server knows about the client is what the client has chosen to tell it. Now, the one thing that the client can never hide is their IP address, because how else could the client have possibly talked to the server? It, it happened over IP, so the IP address is there. So this is actually a nice way for you to see your own public IP address, because when I load this page, it says 46.7.something.something, but I'm betting yours doesn't say that. Right, right because you're not in my house that I'm aware of. <laughs> then the, the the server knows my browser simply because it was handed it in actually the header, which you'll see down below. So what the, what did the server see from the HTTP request? Well, it saw the URL. So that's the actual URL we're at here. Now, you'll notice there was a redirect involved because we went from bar to b to bar So this browser kindly followed the redirect, the mm-hmm. big, long, untypable URL. So what the server saw was the final resting URL, which is bartbushots.ie. The server also knows what version of HTTP this conversation is happening in. And the answer is 1.1. It also knows the method being used. This page was loaded through a GET. Yep. Uh, in fact, the only way to load a post is to hit submit on a form. So anytime you type a URL into the address bar, it's a GET. Right. And there were six headers handed by Safari to the server when I loaded the page, and you've probably seen something else. Uh, I saw six as well. You saw six as well, because we're both Safari users. Had you been a Firefox user, you probably would have seen something different. So the host header... So you know the way it's possible now for one web server to serve out like 20 different websites, 100 different websites, 1,000 different websites, but it's all on the one IP. The reason that's possible is because of the host header. So the host header tells the server which website you're looking for. So there could be, if you're on shared hosting on GoDaddy, there could be a thousand people sharing your IP address. How does the server know which website to give it? The answer is it looks in the host header and says, ah, you're looking for barbushas.ie. It's over there. I'll hand that to you. So that the host header is really important. Accept lists basically the MIME types that the browser thinks are acceptable. The first one is the most obvious one, text slash HTML. It will settle for application slash XHTML, application slash XML, and a few other things. Right. Then we come to the language I mentioned. Mine says accept language EN-IE. I guess yours doesn't. EN-US. Yeah, because your OS is set to America, so Safari knows you're in America, so Safari is handing out a different language. And if we were to be cosmopolitan types, we could actually have enabled more languages on our Macs, and there would be more languages in that accept string. But I'm no Patrick But we're not, Deja. because we're English speakers. Yeah, so I'm sure Patrick would see more. Connection keep alive, let's not worry about that. It is an important header, but not for us. 
accept encoding basically says if you would if you dear web server would like to save some bandwidth by compressing the reply instead of sending it to me uncompressed i will accept b or g zip and deflate hmm. and then last one we have is the user agent yeah um i did check with firefox it had one more upgrade insecure requests one So that means that Firefox is saying, if you have HTTPS, please tell me and I will very happily switch. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I think Firefox just sticks that into everything. I think basically that's Firefox just wanders around the internet going, can I have HTTPS? Can I have HTTPS? Not a bad thing, to be honest. So it looks like we had no query string, no query parameters, no form data, and no cookies in that. That makes sense? Yes. Now... Let's go to that URL and type at the end of it, question mark, test equals yes, and then hit enter. So now it's got query parameters, test, and yes. Yes. And query string, And it says the query yes. string, test equals yes. Yeah. So we can stick after that, ampersand t2 equals four. You're making this and up. And I'm just yeah. I'm literally just making this off the top of my head. Okay. But you can see the query string gets broken into the query parameters. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, because we're doing a get, there is no form data, mm-hmm. right? If we had a post, it would be possible for there to be form data, and if we were doing this, if I had written the server differently, I could have arranged for cookies to be there, but I didn't because I don't like tracking people on the internet for no reason. Uh, and then the last thing is just the server just identifying some stuff back to the client. Um, so I just put that in there for completeness, to be honest. Great. So that is the anatomy of an HTTP request. So that's half the game. So the other half of the game is the HTTP response. It contains less, in terms of, it, it contains less different things. Um, but nonetheless, actually, no, before we move on, um, I want to talk about something cool for a minute. So the full source code for that little HTTP echo is on GitHub, and the link is in the show notes. So I'd like you to go to that GitHub page and have that open in a separate tab. Okay, GitHub. And then, just to make things difficult for you, I'd like you to go back to the first tab, and I'd like you to change the link. So you see the way it ends? It says HTTP echo forward slash, and then delete everything after the forward slash. Oh, I closed that page. And put in... JSON, J-S-O-N, and then text with a capital T, a capital T, and then E-X-T. So, I'm sorry, did we, were we getting rid of u- utils? No, no, so utils slash HTTP echo slash JSON TXT. Oh. I think the link is in the show JSON notes, actually.txt. Okay. Nope. So, Follow what you should see now is a nicely laid out JSON file. That is actually the identical information you just saw on that pretty HTML web page. Okay. By the way, Bart said same the information, URL wrong, but so as just Jason. use the one in the show notes. I'm sure yes. you'll be following. Did you want me to send this. it to you quickly? No, 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 no. I found it. It's in the show notes. It's just ah. not what you said out loud. That's all. But they'll be ah. clicking the link. Okay, so I see a nice okay. JSON. And now, if you replace the JSON text with just the word text on its own, you can see another rendering of the identical information in Markdown. Oh, look at that. That's nifty. why did I say I really like mustache? What were one of the reasons I said I love mustache? 
because it exists in every language under the sun, pretty much, including the language I wrote this little echo utility in, which is PHP. So, my code contains two mustache templates, and what they share is the same view, and that view is the JSON you just saw. Wow. So, you can see the templates if you go to that GitHub page and you click on the Views folder... You'll see two files in there called html.mustache and text.mustache. If you click into them, you will see the template for the shiny web version, which uses Bootstrap, and the template for the other. And what you'll notice is they use the same view information. So request.header count, request.whatever, your, you know, your mustache is everywhere. Basically, everything you've seen before. Oh, wow. It's just that in this case, it's PHP that's using these mustache templates, not JavaScript. But it's basically what you've already seen, only I'm now using it on the web server instead of on the web browser. Hmm. So did you so write, I just thought that was cool. Did you write all of this in mustache? Yes. Oh, wow. That's very pretty. I thought you said it was some open source yeah. code you took. No, no. I open sourced my ah, code. Ah, okay. That's even cooler. I thought, cool, you found yes. this. Now it's even cool. You made this. I'm, yes, I did that thing I keep telling you is why I program. I scratched my own itch. I was like, I really should do a little thing just to show what I had. And then I did it. And then when I had it written in HTML, I went, I should really have this work with JSON. And then I should really have it work in, in plain text. Okay. And, and that's, yeah. I spent a lot of time on this week's show notes, and most of it is not in the show notes. Most of it's fun, right? Okay. But it was fun, and I got the stretched by PHP muscles, which had been very atrophied. And I would like to say thank you to listener Jill for... Sanity checking my code before I published it to the planet. Or rather, before I told anyone it was on GitHub. Okay, so we've now seen the request in great detail, I think. So now let's look at the other half. So I have sent the server a request. The server's going to come back to me with a response. What is in that response? There's going to be up to three things in that response. There is absolutely going to be an HTTP status code. And that's the server's way of telling you whether or not it's happy or cranky. And if it's cranky, what type of cranky? Uh, assuming, well, actually, no, it will always contain an arbitrary number of HTTP response headers. So not request headers, response headers. And if appropriate, it will contain a body, as we call it, which is the actual data you asked for. So the URL might be a URL that specifies some HTML or a URL that specifies a JPEG file, whatever it is, that data is going to be shoved into the body of the HTTP response. So status code, headers, data hmm. is what makes up an HTTP response. Okay. The status code consists of three digits followed by a short human readable description. The ideal one that you would hope to always see, but that's not how the world works, is... 200 space OK. That's the HTTP response code for yes, sir. So, dear web server, give me this URL. 200 OK means you got it. Here it is. Here's the data you asked for. So that's the one we want. Okay. Um, as it happens, the people who designed HTTP were very clever about the response codes. It's not 200 OK because there are 200 other responses. It's 200 OK because the first digit groups the response codes into five categories. Oh. 
Category one is a so-called informational response. And the good news about those is they are, us human beings need never worry about those. They are completely dealt with by the client. Things like 100 continue, Hmm. 101 switching protocols, right? Low level stuff the browser just does for you. Don't worry about it. Two followed by anything is a successful response code. For get and for post, that means 200 okay. But for different methods that we haven't talked about, it could mean different response codes. An example will be 201 created if you're using an HTTP method to add something to the server. The 300s are ones you have come across, Alison, because you have a whole bunch of them on potv.com. The 300s are redirection responses. Oh, they're used. They're used to do redirects. And the nice thing for us as a JavaScript developer is that the browser will just follow them for us. So the fact that I gave you a URL that started with bartb.ie and you ended up at bartbushots.ie, your browser actually made two HTTP requests. One to the URL you typed in, which resulted not in 200 OK, but it resulted in uh, 302 and a new URL to go to. And then the browser silently went to the new URL and that gave a 200 OK and then it showed you the web page. Okay. So the two types of redirect that are important are 301 moved permanently and 302 found. So moved permanently is for a permanent redirect. That means the browser is allowed to cache that fact. It's allowed to just basically silently transform one URL into the other for without checking back with the server. It can just do that from now on. If you came from a bookmark, the, the browser is even allowed to update the URL in the bookmark. Like move permanently, you should only ever put that on your web page if you actually mean that everyone can change their bookmarks. That's how you should think about it. 302 means have a redirect, but check back with me every single time. So it's for temporary redirects. So 302 found. Okay. So you're not allowed to cache those. Excuse me. Uh, the next one then are 400. The basically four star, star, star. So 400s. They are for client errors. Um, when you're writing low level stuff, you may end up seeing a lot of 400 bad request errors because you're speaking wrong HTTP. Right. If you're feeling very adventurous, you can telnet the port 80 and type the HTTP commands manually. And assuming you don't typo it, and assuming you actually know the HTTP spec as well as you think you know the HTTP spec, it will work and it will give you back a 200 OK. But I promise you, you'll see a few hundred, a few 400 bad requests on the way. <laughs> well, we all know 404. I was just going to say, so the Sorry. ones we tend to see as human beings are not those sort of you don't speak HTTP properly, the 400 bad requests. No, what we tend to see is the, I'm sorry, that URL doesn't exist, or the even which is 404 not found, or the even more infuriating 403 forbidden. Oh yeah, I have this, but you're not seeing it. I hate that one. And the last one start with five, and they're for server side errors. Now, Later in this series, when we're writing web servers, we're going to care a lot about the 500s. But for now, really, if we see a 500 error, so anything starting with a 5, it's basically something's gone wrong and there's nothing we can do about it. Ah, Something beyond our control has gone belly up. The most common one by a million and one miles is 500 internal server error. That is the web developer equivalent of Windows' old general protection fault. 
Like, Something ow. has gone wrong and I'm going to give you no information whatsoever to help you debug in any way whatsoever. You're on your own. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, I've seen that one. I'm not fond of it. Mm. I'm immensely not fond of it. 500 errors make me immensely cranky in work. <laughs> Bottom line for us as JavaScript developers, there really are only four response codes we need to know about. There's loads more. There was actually an April Fool that is actually in the spec. It's, a, it's an RFC that was released on April Fool. It's, uh, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's um, not a teapot. <laughs> really? Uh, actually, no, it is. I'm a teapot. Basically, someone wrote the HTTP spec for controlling a coffee maker over HTTP. It's, it's in the spec. And one of the errors you can get is I'm a teapot. Oh, that's awesome. Therefore, I can't make coffee, is the, <laughs> is the logic. Nice. Yes. Um, so we care about 200 OK, 403 forbidden, 404 not found, and 500 internal server error. They're the ones we're likely to come across. All the rest, the browser takes care of, or there's nothing we can do about. Okay. And we really, really, in terms of writing code, it's even simpler. 200 OK means success. Anything else means I now have to catch an exception and put up an error message for the user. Okay. So that's, that is actually the information I want to give you. But I want to finish with a, an end-to-end illustration that shows the whole kit and caboodle. So there are lots of ways of making HTTP requests. The browser is a very common one, but you can do HTTP on the command line with a wonderful command called curl, which is available for Mac and Linux users. Sorry, Windows peeps, you're out of luck here. So... I am going to send a curl command at that lovely little script I just showed you. And then we can use it to set cookies and all kinds of stuff so that we can actually see everything in an HTTP request. So the command is long. Don't be afraid. I'll explain it piece by piece. But anyway, you'll see it in the show notes. curl minus v minus minus data minus URL encode d1 equals val1. Oh, there's only two minuses there. That's another typo. Minus, minus, cookie. And then it says C1 equals cookie, semicolon, C2 equals monster. Then there's the URL, question mark, P1 equals param1 value, and P2 equals param2 value. There's a backslash in front of the ampersand because it is being shell escaped, because otherwise the terminal will be gone away with our ampersand, and we don't want the terminal to go away with it. Okay, no, we were not supposed to follow that, correct? We were not, because I'm now going to break it down piece by piece. Okay. The minus V flag is the easy one. It puts curl into verbose mode. So by default, curl would only show us the actual content of the page at that URL. But I want curl to tell us everything it's doing. I want curl to tell us I'm now doing this, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing this. And then we can watch an HTTP request for reals. So the minus V just says, tell me everything. Minus minus data minus URL and code is a way of specifying form data on the command line to curl. So it's equivalent to having hit the submit button on a form. And it's a form that contained one input named D1 with a value val1. So in a real world web page, that could have been an input. So input type equals text, value equals val1. Okay. that doing that immediately because we've put form data in here that immediately tells curl we want a post request i'm so we have simulated lost, just so you know i have no idea what you're doing then i need to back up this is this is important to you okay uh, curl is a command that's all i know and dash v is verbose and every other word right. you said after that i don't know what curl does 
Okay, I'm sorry. Curl is a command for sending HTTP requests. Okay. Curl is going to talk to a web server and show us what the web server says back. Curl is going to be a oh, pretend web browser. This is back to that. Oh, this is that question I was asking on the internets of of why would you ever want uh, a web to access a server but not see it? This is what we're doing here. It's not quite the same because we, we actually curl is never going to actually interpret the HTML. Okay. All curl is going to do is fetch it. So curl only does the HTTP. It's not a pretend browser in that respect. Okay. Curl is going to make an HTTP request, get an HTTP response, and show us what was in the response. Okay. So we got curl dash v. Whatever it is we're about to tell curl, we want it to be real verbose when it sends the answer. Yes, exactly. So okay. that we can watch curl. Basically, have curl give us a little running commentary on its actions. Okay. And from there on, I lost you. Okay, minus, but that, we didn't get dash. very much further. So we are simulating an HTTP request. Okay. And I want this simulation to be as if I was on a web page with a text box that contained a string. And then you hit the submit button. Wait, we're, we're, giving, so, hang on. we're giving it a text string, you mean? As in, we are sending to the web server exactly the same information that we would send to a real web server if inside the web browser we filled in something into a text box and then hit submit. Okay. So you know the way we've been using the input tag to make text boxes? Yes. And the input tag always had a name. Yes. Right. In this case, the name is D1. Wait, 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 wait. What so about it was as if you typed dash, input. Hang on, back up. What about dash dash data dash URL in code? What is... That is telling curl, I am about to tell you to pretend to make this text box. So what you say in your show notes is that tells curl, uh, puts curl into post mode. So it's not doing a get, it does. it's doing a post. But yes, dash, dash, and the reason data. for that is because I am specifying this is a pretend web form, right? Web forms go as post. Therefore, if I am telling curl send a web form, curl goes ah, then I'm posting. Okay, because you can't get a web form, right? So the your show notes say the two dash dash data dash URL encode flags, but there's only one. Yeah. One of them got swallowed. I have some more editing to do in my. Okay, something has. Something has eaten my other one. I think the ampersand character has eaten it or something. <laughs> okay. So because was there an earlier one that or yeah. it should Ah, okay, Alison, if you scroll down if you scroll down to the to the giant big output box, yes. it didn't get chewed up. Okay, so we'll read it's, it's there. It's completely intact. Okay. Yeah, and I'll fix the show notes so people see them properly. Okay, so curl minus v minus minus data minus URL encode D one equals val one. Minus minus data URL encode D two equals val two. Okay, so those are the two. So that's two, like a web. Let me let me try to say it. Those are the two okay. commands that are putting curl into post mode and shoving some data in, like we would add to an input tag. Yeah, so it's as if we had two input tags: one with the very imaginative name D one, and one with the very imaginative name D two. Yeah. And as if the user had typed into D one val one, and into D two val two. So we're simulating a dumb web form with two text inputs called D1 and D2 with the text VAL1 and VAL2. Okay. Really exciting. Okay. Then we're using the minus minus cookie flag to tell curl to send a cookie to the server. Okay. 
In fact, we're using we're using the way the cookie flag works is you can have multiples, but they have to be inside a string with a semicolon between them. That's in the I went man curl to find that out. So we're sending it two cookies. C one equals cookie, and C two equals monster. Okay, good. I can never think about cookies without thinking of a big blue furry thing. Okay, just can't. And then we have our URL, and I've stuck a query string on the end of the URL which says p1 equals param1 val and p2 equals param2 val and the backslash is there for bash. It's not... It, the Without that backslash, bash would eat the ampersand. So the ampersand, the slash is only there because it's on the terminal. It doesn't... Okay. It's not in the real URL. Okay. And then I hit enter. And that meant that curl sent that great big HTTP request... So let's see what curl did. Let's Okay, so the output is long, so we're going to break the output down piece by piece. So the very first thing you'll see is that it says trying, and you see the IP address on my web server. And then you'll see it said connected to my web server on port 443. Mm-hmm. And then the security happens. Right, We're not going to go into this in detail, but it's actually exchanging certificates, validating the certificates. And the very last thing it says is da, 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 SSL certificate verify OK which in browser speak means padlock. So it's gone oh, through okay. all of this stuff here to get to the padlock, right? It's done all the encryption. It's done its handshake. Oh, we can even you can tell see it saying client hello. Encrypt. It even yes, I do that. use less encryption. Yeah, you can see it there because the issuer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then finally, we see the HTTP request itself. Post to the relevant file path, question mark, our parameters, HTTP 1.1. That is the actual HTTP syntax for sending a post request over HTTP 1.1. Okay. Then that is followed by the request headers that we that have been assembled by curl. So the host header is as it should be, just like it was in Safari. But the user agent is not Safari because Safari is not doing the talking to my yeah. web server. Curl is. So curl is very honestly identifying itself. Now, curl has a command line flag where you can make it lie, just like you'd make Safari lie. Good. Uh, but I didn't bother. Uh, curl is extremely accepting. Its accept is star slash star. So while Safari was saying, please give me HTML, Curl's like, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> you easy. like, Mr. Server. I'm good. I'm easy. <laughs> now, because I use the minus minus cookie flag, Curl is actually sending cookies. So we see the HTTP header, cookie, and it's passing two cookies separated by a semicolon. That's how the header works. Uh, Curl is also doing something Safari didn't do. Curl has built the whole HTTP request up front, calculated how many bytes it is, and then put that into the header. Hmm. So it's actually telling the web server what to expect. Content length 15. Okay. And actually, sorry, I should be, I should be nicer to Safari. I, I owe Safari an apology. <laughs> the reason we didn't see that is because we sent a GET request. Ah. And that's the length... That's the length of the forum data. So Safari would do the same if we hit submit on a web form. So apologies to Safari. I'm, I'm being mean. So terribly maligned. Terribly maligned. And then the last thing there is content type. And what it's basically telling the web server is, I have form data for you. And that form data is encoded as application slash x dash www. That's the MIME type for a standard web form. Okay. Uh, 
so there are the headers. That's it. That's everything that was sent to the web server. And then the next thing is we see uh, a little more of a confession from curl that says, upload complete, sent off 15 out of 15 bytes. Then we see the actual HTTP response. HTTP 1.1200 OK. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and then we see the headers. The first header that my web server gives back is the server, is basically it's the equivalent of the user agent. It's the mirror image of the user agent. It's the server identifying itself. The server says, hi, I'm Nginx. Because right. I love Nginx. Then it puts a timestamp on the file. And the reason it puts a timestamp is so that maybe it was returning a copy that was calculated previously. And then if you're calculating the cache, it's good to know actually when the data dates from. So the server is just politely saying, if you happen to be caching this, cache it as this date. Then it says content type. So now we're saying, what what type of information am I answering with? And because I asked it to give me the plain text version of the output so that we could see it on the terminal. So if you look at the URL, it's forward slash text. The content type is text slash plain and the next thing is uh, part of a MIME type is you get to specify the character encoding. So we're saying this is plain text in UTF-8. Okay. Don't worry about the transfer encoding chunked and the connection type keep alive or the, the, that's, that's just minutia of how the data is sent piece by piece. And then the last thing is just put in by PHP because it likes to show off. X powered by. It's just telling the world so that people can gather statistics on how many people use PHP to write their web pages. It's just showing off. Powered by. Powered by PHP 5.6. <laughs> Great. And then the next thing you see is a blank line, and then the actual data returned by the server, which in this case is the plain text version of my web page. And then the very last thing it says connection zero to host left intact. And the reason the connection was left intact is because of the connection keep alive. Oh. And if this had been an HTML page that contained images, the same connection could be recycled to send the HTTP request for the smiley face image or whatever. Okay. So that is what is actually happening every time you ask for a web page. Assemble the request, create your, you know, your, your method, so post create your headers, send it off, get a response that's hopefully 200 OK, some more headers, and then the data you asked for. Larther, rinse, repeat. You have the World Wide Web. That's pretty cool. And you can do it all from the, from the command line. Of course you can, Alison. You can do anything from the command line. <laughs> and so if we were to run that command without the minus V, the only thing we would see is the actual text. So all the other stuff will be hidden. And we just see the the text returned by the web server. Right. So that's it. And I think, I'm hoping you, you'll agree it was a good idea to to not go any further today oh, than yeah. just to lay this foundation. Yeah, this, this went long, so, but I think you were able to get in depth into it and we were able to have fun with it, right? Yeah, because now we're ready for me to tell you how jQuery's $.ajax function works. But... I think we've had enough, so we're not going to tell you that. I think that's good. But before you, I don't want you to sign off yet because I want to do a quick shout okay. out to Ian Lessing, one of uh, uh, the Patreons, and uh, he loves programming, programming by stealth. And I thought we should just say, hey, hey, Ian. Well, hello there, Ian. I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> 
All right, that was that was. I I can't believe it was really fun learning all this stuff about HTTP. I mean, this is this is full on propeller beanie, and I loved it. I really, I was grinning sitting here. Excellent. And the great thing is, so now you know what's going on every time you hit enter on the web page, which is kind of cool. But next week, when I tell you how Dollar Ajax works, all these words are going to make perfect sense to you. Oh, good, good. And because there's a one-to-one map. Shockingly, there's a one-to-one mapping between the HTTP protocol and the options for the Ajax function. How could that be? How handy is that? By the way, one of the reasons I may be grinning is because my view right now is a hummingbird feeder in front of Eagle's Crag at um, in Zion. So I'm happy no matter what you were talking about, pretty much. Yeah, so basically the hummingbird would have got your attention above me had I been boring. I, I Well... I'm not going to lie. When I did see a hummingbird, finally, I might have dropped a thought. <laughs> I would, too. There's such, I've never seen one in the flesh. I really want to. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll make sure. They don't we- exist here. We have none of them. They're, 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 oh. They like it warm, and apparently we don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, this was, like I said, this was really fun. I'm looking forward to learning about Ajax. Excellent. Well, that, then I consider this mission accomplished, and... Uh, you can go off hiking and I'm going to do some cycling tomorrow. And whenever, until two weeks from now, the important thing is that we all do lots of happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.